Shut up and sit down. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. The only thing we have to fear is... Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. I'm speaking with myself, number one, because I have a very good brain and I've said a lot of things. And that Clinton thing is just really timely right now. I was it? just yeah. thinking the same thing. <laughs> uh, we, we, yeah, Bill's gotten a free ride for a while. We may have to, we may have to visit that. They just can't stop themselves. No, <laughs> it's out of control. Welcome back, guys. Good to be here. It's, uh, it's the three of us again: me and Bill and Phil. Yeah. Hi, how you doing, Phil? I'm good. I'm, I am ready for a Thanksgiving. I'm ready for a break. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That sounds right. Ready for some turkey. It, it, I, when I say that, it makes it sound like I work really hard for a living. <laughs> the life of an intellectual. Yeah. <laughs> well, the plus side of that is that we won't be taking a break. We'll have an episode out uh, on Wednesday, uh, so you have something to listen to in the car, so you don't have to listen to your kids or significant other uh, or family members or anything of that sort. Um, so expect that next week. Uh, if you like what you hear... Follow us on Facebook, uh, at Barstool Politics, Twitter, at Barstool Paul. Uh, send us comments, uh, questions, uh, anything else to our email, barstoolpolitics at yahoo.com. Uh, rate us and like us on iTunes. Uh, that's how we continue to, uh, to grow this thing. Uh, and any beers that we have, we throw up on uh, the Untapped app, which you can download for iOS or Android. Uh, we leave little reviews, and you can uh, follow us and give suggestions and all those fun things. Preview. Today, we're going to do some old-style reviews. Awesome. <laughs> Who doesn't love old-style? Yes, well, and not even regular old-style. We, old we style. might not after two. I don't know. <laughs> mm. All right, gentlemen, do we start with Roy Moore? Yeah, kind of have to, don't you? He's kind of he's been in the center of attention. So, well, we should quickly re- recap. So, on on Monday, a fifth woman, Beverly Young Nelson, came forward to accuse Roy Moore of sexual assault uh, when she was 16. Senate Republicans are doing everything they can to run away from him as quickly as possible. Uh, Moore has pledged to not step down and has argued the attacks are a conspiracy of liberals and establishment Republicans. I think establishment Republicans are now worse than liberals. Yeah, they're getting there. Yeah, he had a campaign event uh, last night that was really more of a religious revival than anything, and it was titled God Save America Revival Conference, where he stated that this is a spiritual battle and and that he is being persecuted for his conservative religious values. He quoted scripture and the Gettysburg Address. <laughs> wow. How do you work the Gettysburg Address into a I didn't do it kind of conference? I, 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 I don't recall any parts about kid touching in the Gettysburg Address. No. he's so Maybe I missed that part. Right. There's so many interesting questions here, Phil. I mean, is there one area, you know, we could talk about how bad this is for the Republicans. What options do they have? Uh, is he going to step down? What, what's... So, I mean, the the interesting aspect of this story to me is the way in which people have responded to it. So um, there has been some element of I didn't do it, but mostly the defense of him has been it's not such a big deal, which is a really weird way to double down on this, like the ways in which. Uh, it's been it, it has been interesting to see um, the Republican Party in general. So so you, Mitch McConnell, even, I mean, a lot of you know Senate Republicans and establishment Republicans have called for him to step aside, whether that's out of you know principle or out of that's a fear that they're going to lose the seat. 
But um, a lot of people in the Republican Party in Alabama have basically said this is like they, you know, they were they weren't that young. There were people who were making claims about like Joseph and Mary and the Bible and like how that was underage. Um, There were I mean, just the the ways in which, you know, it, it, it goes back to this theme that we've talked about a lot in which people are. The, the idea that you have political principles is it seems to be vanishing in this country. It's that you have a political affiliation mm-hmm. and all of your principles mold to that. And, and this seems to be as big of a test of that as you can. I mean, a case where the, the women who've come forward and especially the this Beverly Nelson who came over the other day, she's a Trump supporter. Her and her yep. husband voted for Trump and her testimony was powerful. And the fact that Roy Moore supporters and including his wife can watch this and say, ah, liberal conspiracy, you know, uh, Steve Bannon, this is, uh, this is just, uh, you know, another establishment uh, coup d'etat. It's, it, it's, it is, it's scary that people genuinely can't see beyond their political affiliation anymore. Yeah, I, I mean, it, yeah, I, I agree with all those points. I, I, when we talk about principles in, in politics and, you know, the way things were mm-hmm. and, you know, you have a have some sort of moral code when you're in those positions. I don't know about you guys. I never really thought that was the case. And I, I feel like it's just coming out more readily now, more so than it ever has at, at any other point in, in our history, which I don't necessarily think is a bad thing at this point. If you want to drain the swamp, I think that's a good really good way to drain the swamp from either end of the aisle. It will be interesting to see if the Republicans do drain the swamp. So Which right now, Mitch McConnell is doing everything he can to get Roy Moore to stop, but it appears he's not. I mean, Roy Moore seems committed. Mm. They could they could refuse to seat him if he got elected, right? Yes, but or, or ex, was it expel him? I mean, those are things yeah. that you go back to the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Right. The, the Republic, Republicans can't have him in the Senate, can they? But why? Because every time an issue comes up, they're going to go to him, and he's just going to be a disaster. I mean, he's going to talk. I mean, this is—it's not just the sexual assault stuff. It's you know banning Muslims. It is the anti—you know—the homophobia. He's right. got a closet of offensive things to say, and I can't imagine Mitch Mitch McConnell wants to deal with this on a daily basis and have to answer and explain him. But I mean, there's so to respond to a couple of these, I mean, that's part of what's fascinating about this is that this guy was totally unacceptable before. Right. right? (laughs) Not not based on like I'm not saying that because he's too conservative or whatever, like the stuff that he said and did like he was he should never have been a candidate for Senate. The Republican Party should have never let him be a candidate for Senate. And so the fact that this, I mean, this should absolutely disqualify him, but the fact that all of the other stuff didn't is a little yeah, disheartening. Right. I think in in response to what you were saying, Nick, is I, I don't want to, I'm not, I don't, I'm trying not to be like naive. I don't think that politicians are all, all good or whatever. I, I'm, I'm, I share some level of your cynicism that, you know, that, that these are, there's a lot of, uh, I don't know, dirty laundry behind the scenes. But um, what's fascinating about this is that even if you believe that, even if you think that everybody's dirty and corrupt, um, previously there was at least the pressure to pretend that you weren't, right? right. That, that if point. some sort of scandal like this came out, even if everybody was doing this sort of thing, if it comes out, you had to disown them. And what's been remarkable about this is uh, – like. The the report like this guy has been accused of 
inappropriate sexual relationships, multiple with underage, with girls, yeah. right? With underage um, girls. And there's a chunk, there's a chunk, the polls in, the, in Alabama show, there's like 25% of Alabama Republicans who say that this makes them more likely to vote for him. Mm-hmm. That that is that is mind boggling. <laughs> it, it really shows the divide in the Republican Party, where you see the Senate now being that more of the establishment, and you're seeing Alabama as the contrast. Do we think he steps down? No, you say I don't think so. no, no chance. No, I don't think he steps down, and I think there's a distinct possibility that he'll win too. I, I think if he doesn't step down, he wins. Yeah, uh, Phil, do you think? You he's, think? Yeah. Oh, I know, I know you had some polling I, data that suggested so, yeah. otherwise. So this has been, I mean, this has been a fast, we've talked about this race a little before because uh, it was assumed it was going to be a Republican race. When Moore wins the primary, he's he's out there enough that people start, and you have obviously a deeply unpopular president. And we had talked a couple of weeks ago about how the, tol- the polls were essentially neck and neck. There was a poll that came out today that has Doug Jones, the Democrat, up by 12 points now. Um, that's remarkable. I think he, I, ugh. I think if he stays in, he loses because I think what will happen is there will be a split in the Republican Party. There will be some sort of push to have a vote, a write in candidate, um, somebody that's, you know, or there's going to be enough people who just can't bring themselves to vote like they're not going to vote for a Democrat, but they can't bring themselves to vote for him. So you could have a write in Um, Luther Strange, something like that. There's even mm -hmm. some rumors that Jeff Sessions could be fired or or stepped down. That's a one way to get rid of him. And then you bring him back. He has said he doesn't want that. Jeff Sessions is clinging to that (laughs) that attorney general (laughs) position. Yeah. So, so so yeah, I mean, I I think I I think the Democrats have a real chance here. but, you know, who knows? We're, we're you know, that's as as we have learned in the last week, things can change yeah. very quickly. I, I think that of all of the options that are available, I think him not stepping down is him not stepping down, having a writing can, a candidate or having Jeff Sessions come in at the last minute are infinitely more likely than the Democrat taking control of Alabama. Here's what I, I think he might step down. And I up until yesterday, I didn't think that was going to happen. But Hannity, Sean Hannity has now come out. And apparently, giving given him twenty four hours, Roy Moore, to explain himself. Whoa. Yes, I know he's got a deadline. Now, I'm pretty sure that Sean Hannity only did this because uh, advertisers have been running away from his program because of that interview he did with Roy Moore. Yeah, but well, now, no, no, it was it was after, we should talk about that because yeah. it was after the story broke that he argued on his show that she was underage, but it was consensual. That's so right. he was arguing that's that right. it, which is like, again, so, so yeah, then, it's problematic to argue that a 14 year old girl consented. To, right. Yeah, absolutely. So then Keurig and others left him. So I, my guess is that Hannity's feeling the heat. And so if Hannity, who is really the spokesperson for that Trump, you know, uh, type of uh, politician moves the other direction, I think it's going to get really, really, the pressure will build on more. And the other thing is, We've only seen five women come forward. There's likely more out there. This will this will be a wave, and if it continues to happen, there's going to be more and more women. And if I, I think at some point he has to step down, just out of shame. I I I don't disagree with that statement, yeah. but I mean, if you're coming at this, especially uh, if you live in Alabama and you're part of that culture and and that electorate in general, roll tide. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, <laughs> I mean, the thought that this is some sort of left-wing conspiracy and this is all happening within a few weeks of the election 
and you know it's this just wave of uncertainty and things that just don't seem to quite add up and that all of a sudden kind of come into the limelight that's a powerful thing uh, and again i don't agree with that in any way shape or form but i, I don't know that that throws some th- throws some serious doubt into what should be a relatively cut and dry case i, w- I watched an interview with a local reporter from alabama talking about this and and his his perspective was that Roy Moore is not going to step down. And I think he did. He, they were talking about this polling, and he, but he said he still expects Roy Moore to win. Mm-hmm. That they, you know, there hasn't been enough attention on the Democrat. When that comes out, they'll be able to rip him apart. And he still, at the end of the day, thinks Roy Moore gets elected to the Senate, which has got to be the worst-case scenario for Senate Republicans because then the story doesn't go away. It continues to define this. Um, and and, so and I, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Phil. No, go ahead. I was going to say, and then it... Then it becomes a gift to the Democrats right moving forward mm-hmm. so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick my neck out and speculate I so it, it, to push back on you two I'm gonna I'm gonna predict that the Democrats are gonna win this Wow they're gonna win the Senate seat in Alabama and here's why um, I, <laughs> Nick is looking deeply I I'm skeptical. trying to think of what bet we can put in place with this. <laughs> I know I know I'm not super confident in this prediction but <laughs> so the, the other part of it's not tied to to Roy Moore, but tied to this story is the fact that there was an election last week, right? And Democrats did remarkably well. Um, I, that's I, that may they, be an they understatement. They won an election. I didn't think that was even possible anymore. Yeah. They essentially won every election in Virginia, in Virginia, right? That that was yeah. up for up for grabs. Um, and they they didn't just win them; they won by a bigger margin than was expected. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the polling that has come out since then and around then uh, that look at essentially generic ballots, Democrats versus Republicans, uh, you know, some of the speculation, some of the predictions are that the Democrats need to be at like a plus 10 to tie up the the House next time around. They're polling at like close to plus 20 right now. I mean, they are. They, Donald Trump is at essentially historic lows. The Democrats are you know, they're they're benefiting in an off year like they do. Right. When when you are confronted constantly with the Republican Party and this is the this is the, the stories that are out there are Donald Trump and Roy Moore and Mitch McConnell and all of this stuff. Right. Um, you don't have to be much of a Democrat. Right. And, and we're what, three, three or four weeks out from this Senate election, the timing. So you already have favorable conditions. Even in the Republican Party should be able to overcome those in Alabama pretty easily. But when you throw out that your candidate is a multi repeat pedophile, right, right? who has people or these girls like these women are bringing forward their like junior high yearbooks where he signed them when he was like 35. Right. Mm -hmm. This is it's hard to imagine sort of a worse political scandal. It's not just a sex scandal. It's a sex scandal with underage girls. Um, so all of that, I, I think it's hard to imagine a condition in which a Democrat wins in Alabama, but Trump <laughs> as president and a sex predator, underage, like pedophile as your Republican candidate are the ones that might make it happen. I would like to make one statement. Yeah. William Jefferson okay. Clinton. <laughs> let's let's thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I think if if the Democrats do win that Senate seat, it does send a signal that Republicans should be panicked about midterms. Yep. Uh, we, we spent so much time, and a few weeks ago, I was convinced that Republicans and, and Trumpism were taking over, but it may just be that we're having a more narrow conversation and that once you have a broader audience actually show up to vote, it could shift. I'm not where you are, Phil. I still think 
Roy Moore would likely win, but that would be it would be transformative if, if a Democrat lose or I'm sorry, if a Democrat wins in Alabama. Mm-hmm. So a week or two ago, we talked about this and I asked if you were the Democratic Party, do you start throwing resources and money in Alabama? And, and you both said no. Yeah. Um, do you does is your mind changed? No, not do at you, all. Do you see this as it's close? I got to I'm going to take the chance because if they could win. Like if you can spend some money and actually pull this off, that is huge. Here's the danger, though. If the Democrats start throwing money in Alabama, then all of a sudden it's the Democratic elite that are coming in trying to manipulate Alabama politics. And then you might get a backlash against that. So it might be worth Democrats thinking about how they can do that subtly. But they have to be careful because if they start running national ads... Then it just feels like all of a sudden, you know, it's the the Washington elite are trying to manipulate local mm-hmm. Alabama politics, and then that backfires. So I I think they have to be very very careful, even though their prospects have increased. Well, I mean, more than that, if for whatever reason they do decide to do that, it's the success of that candidate. I feel would be built on a house of cards. Like the the only reason that they're even remotely that successful is because the opposition is a known pedophile. Like it's it takes something of that magnitude for them to even have a chance of winning an election. So they may win the battle, but in the long term they're not going to win that war, at least not in the foreseeable future. In Alabama. Yeah. I, again, we talk about the state of the country and the partisan divide in this country and this is like as indicative of as anything. You have a Republican who is a known pedophile who thinks that that Muslims aren't, you know, equal citizens <laughs> running against a guy who spent his life prosecuting the KKK. And it's a toss up. It's not if anything, it's like the guy who prosecuted the KKK is the long shot. History will look That's, back on this election and go like, what what is wrong is with incredible. people? <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> so I know we probably need to move on, but I think, you know, Nick brought up the issue of Bill Clinton. And I think it's worth a little bit of our time. And I'm not a big fan of the whataboutism that Republicans oftentimes do when they say, okay, you're talking about Roy Moore, what about Bill Clinton? But I do wonder whether Democrats do need to reckon with the history of Bill Clinton. And and to be fair, that's been swept under the rug. Mm -hmm. And looking back, and I read an article (laughs) earlier this week where they presented, uh, I think it was college-age students, with the information of what happened uh, with Bill Clinton, both in terms of Monica Lewinsky, but some of the other stories. And they were deeply, deeply troubled by it. Mm-hmm. So do Democrats also now, given this new climate and given the awareness and concern with sexual assault, do do we have to or do they have to reckon with this history of Bill Clinton? No, that's no. silly. <laughs> <laughs> Phil. <laughs> absolutely. They yeah. should have reckoned with it a long time ago. Oh, should right? they have? I mean, this is, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, absolutely. Now, I mean, it, it's a weird thing because you know it's again back to sort of two things can be true it's a it's a crappy argument to make in response to or a defense of roy moore right right? to say that i've seen lots of people make this argument about jfk was a you know a philanderer or bill clinton you know was accused of sexual assault um that the answer is all of them right if that's true they should all be critiqued and condemned that that does not excuse roy moore but yes Mm -hmm. at the same time it you know we it is something that Democrats have looked the other way on with with Bill Clinton. Now, I mean, this isn't this is by no means an excuse. But I mean, it was there's some something about the the climate that has changed. Right. He should it should have been taken seriously 25 years ago when this was when this was coming uh, coming out. Um, 
hopefully in the future it will be. I, it make, yeah. This makes it harder. I, I don't know. It, it seems like it, it's, it would be hard to believe that we would have another presidential candidate that could have this sort of history that would, well, <laughs> I say that, our current president. <laughs> right, <exactly. clears throat> so I'm just going to shut up. Never mind. <laughs> so I, I think it's, it's going to be a really difficult conversation to have because Bill Clinton continues to be a rock star in the Democratic Party. He still makes hundreds of thousands of dollars for speeches and appearances. This is something that is not going to be easy or delicate. The Democrats are going to have to slowly move the Clintons out of the political arena for Democrats. And I think, honestly, have to. You're right. They have to have this conversation. And maybe not right now. I mean, the, I think the whataboutism is a little annoying. But, yes, it is. I mean, what's the strategic benefit of doing that for no, them? No strategic benefit. It's just the right thing to do. Then why would they do it? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> Well, I think otherwise, I otherwise they come across as hypocrites. So if they're going to make a big deal of Roy Moore and how it's uh, just unacceptable that you would allow this, then they have to they have to reckon with some of the indiscretions of Bill Clinton, which were serious in terms of using his power for sexual sexual advancement. Well, I mean, this is and I, I wanted to bring up the point earlier when uh, when Phil and I were were discussing it. We we know they're hypocrites. Mm-hmm. They've been hypocrites this entire time. So while I think it's I absolutely think that you should be able to have these positions and act accordingly and and with with dignity and and respect to the position and the uh, responsibility that you're given. The people who are currently in there, a lot of them are not capable of doing that. And we continue to either ignore it or it's not strategically viable for them to do anything about it. And nothing happens. And we just kind of let it go because we're... We're very um, short-sighted when it comes terrible. to that. So because we're terrible. Because yeah, we're, we're terrible. Well, you hope that may I, 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 this may be optimistic, but you hope that we're moving towards a tipping point where this will be no longer the status quo, and that we do say right. that no, you're right. Politicians are always going to be corrupt. Power corrupts, and that that's that's just the, the reality of it. But to say that there still are going to be some lines. That you know, we're not gonna we're not gonna look the other other way with sexual assault no, right. anymore. And I, 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 that's optimistic, but you would hope, right? I agree, and I realistically, if th- this should be the tipping point, regardless yeah. of what happens in this election, whether if he wins the election, that should immediately uh, be condemned by the National Republican Party. Yeah. And and he should be removed from power yeah. immediately. More than that, they should Expelled. be removing him from yeah. from the race. Right? I, yeah. I, yeah. Like, Sorry. No, it's fine. Like, I mean, this is the point that if one of those things does not happen, then there needs to be some sort of reckoning, whether it's from the right or I mean, it should be, from the, be right. from the right. Yeah. yeah. So I, yeah, if it doesn't happen, then th- I, I mean. People should be, again, from both sides of the aisle, should be up in arms about that. And to the Republicans' credit, you know, even thinking about Mitch McConnell, he shifted just this last week from, well, if it's true, then he should step down to, I believe the women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and maybe that is some political calculation. It certainly is. But at least he moved in that way. And, and you're seeing a broader shift. So uh, it, it's a really interesting question. It, it, it's a reflection of how bizarre our political environment is right now. Mm-hmm. So. Well, should we move on to topic number two? Yes. Trump's <laughs> insane tweets. <laughs> Actually, this is this is more reflection on his trip to Asia. 
So Trump mostly held it together for the first eight days of his trip to Asia. And last week, I was very excited about this. I said that, you know, he'd managed to keep it under control. Why would you say that? Yeah, I And then know. the tweet started. And then the tweet started. So the, for the first eight days of his Asia trip, before losing it in Vietnam, chatting with reporters on Air Force One, Trump stated that he believed Putin's claims that Russia did not intervene in the 2016 election and called three former U.S. intelligence agents political hacks. The next morning, he got up and he took to Twitter to call uh, Kim Jong-un fat and criticize the haters and fools out there. So I'll just let me just read. Please do. Okay, the one tweet, because we probably need to start there. So Donald J. Trump, what would Kim Jong-un insult? Why would Kim Jong-un insult me by calling me old when I would never, all caps, call him short and fat? Oh, well, I try so hard to be his friend and maybe someday that will happen. He's a mean girl. Is, is, is there a rational interpretation of that? No. No? Okay. I mean, that, that Phil, you just you look shocked. <laughs> I, I, I am shocked. I am shocked that... that yeah. <laughs> it, I'm shocked that any adult would, would do this, much less the person who is the leader of, of, of the most powerful country in the world. It is, it is mind-boggling. It's... Sad. It's, it's scary. It's a little scary. Um, it is, yeah, it's I, very much scary. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. you think so. There's a couple things here. One, it's clear he was upset about being called old. I think North Korea, in their message, called him a lunatic and old. The only part that upset him was the fact that he was old. Right. And then he goes on to say, "I would never call him short and fat." Well, you just did. That's the that's the point. I, I know. He got him. He faced him. And Face. then, that's right. <laughs> then, oh well. I try so hard to be his friend. Trump is the worst friend in the world if that's the case, right? And then, like a third grader. Yeah, maybe someday that will happen. Like honestly, like this is going through the president's head and he's like, This is this is an A one tweet. Good job, John Donald. I I I saw that and there were a lot of people on Twitter commenting about that. They I thought assumed, it was fake. Yeah, everybody thinks it's fake because fake because it's so insane. Oh, and then he's talking about the haters and losers. Uh, just today, uh, when he got back, he was commenting on his time in the Philippines. And he said, this is a tweet, quote, While in the Philippines, I was forced to watch CNN, which I have not done in months. That's a lie. I'm sure he does. I'm pretty sure he tweeted about it. <laughs> right. And again, realized how bad and fake it is. Loser. <laughs> Like, who, who does that, Phil? You know, I don't know what's going on. This is my quote from the from the uh, trip. So he, I guess this is at the end of the trip as he's coming back. He, this is not a tweet. This was actually in like a in a press conference or whatever. A lot of people said it's almost physically impossible for someone to go through twelve days. Anybody that took that bet, pick up your money, okay? <laughs> what? physically impossible to do a 12-day trip like he he thinks that he has accomplished something fantastic uh, what do you think trump would do if he was on a like semester-long study abroad experience <laughs> <laughs> think about those tweets oh god no uh, so this that tweet you know the kim jong-un one is just bizarre and strange but then the other other part of this story is that once again he returns to saying that he believes vladimir putin and this wasn't just a uh, yeah, a short response. It was a long conversation where he went on and on and say, Putin looked me and told me that he did. He didn't do it, Phil. He didn't do it. And right. you get the sense that Trump either genuinely believes that or doesn't want to have the conversation. Now, a couple of days later, he walks it back and says, I'm with my intelligent agency. But this is bizarre that he's so willing to defer to Putin and other world leaders. What I thought was interesting, and it, uh, it didn't get a lot of play in... Um, 
the major news outlets. Not long after that came out, there was a story that came out that uh, the Russians had put out a story uh, showing uh, irrefutable proof that uh, the U.S. was working in conjunction with ISIS. And they had a picture. It was an infrared image of a convoy, and there were American vehicles and other things. They took it from a video game, and it came straight out of, I think it was the Ministry of Defense or something like that, which I would imagine that someone at a relatively high level in the Russian government, probably all the way up to the office of the president, has some kind of knowledge about. You, you can't make this up. It's so... It's bizarre. Yeah. Part of that interview on Air Force One, so there's, there's a back and forth. He's having the conversation about Russia, and then there's a new question. And it's, this is the question. You seem to have a fairly warm, uh, warm relationship with a number of, and then he intervenes and says, he says, I do. And then the questioner continues and says, totalitarian or authoritarian leaders. And he says, and others. <laughs> so, like, uh, so I, go ahead, Phil. What, one of the themes that has stood out to me on this trip, especially when you look back at his Mideast trip earlier um, in his administration, we talked a little bit about it then, but the, the um, pattern has become so much clearer. The difference in in Europe as well, the difference in how he treats and handles and responds to, to authoritarian dictatorships um, versus democratic governments, right? So if you look at, you know, Russia, China, you know, the, the Saudi Arabia, like his experience, the Philippines, the Philippines right? The, yes. the Philippines, he had, he and, and Duterte or whatever were singing like he, he, they were singing love songs to each other. I, I don't like know the, if people saw that. They should go online. Duterte goes on stage <laughs> and sings a love song to Trump. Yeah. It's bonkers. I'm sorry. I didn't <laughs> mean Trump's, to interrupt. <laughs> Trump's request, apparently. So oh, the, like the, the, the amount of praise that he pours out for these authoritarian governments versus when he's visiting, you know, Germany or Britain or Japan or South Korea and things just go <laughs> not terribly. But, you know, it, it, it's the ability. I don't know if it's the ability of these authoritarian governments to essentially stay to, to do away with any sort of protest and stage this perfect reception for him. If it's the just the similarity and ideology, whatever it is, it's it's disturbing. It's, it's a great point. I think that democracies can't get – you couldn't – Trump couldn't fly into Germany and Merkel couldn't do the red carpet like over-the-top military parades, although France did. But uh, they can't do it in the same way that China did. And it's so transparent what these countries are doing. China right. is following the Saudi example of rolling out the red carpet, th- throwing these great dinners, state dinners. Trump deci- uh, Trump said that – China threw him a state plus plus dinner, and he kept talking about that. It's, it's that oh, they're treating me so well, and it's disturbing that that's all you have to do. And mm-hmm. then he then he lavishes all this praise on President Xi, and then he goes to the Philippines and Duterte, who is is an awful awful violator of human rights. What he's doing is terrible, and Trump. But he has a beautiful singing voice. <laughs> right, that's right. <laughs> and so all you have to do is make him have a good experience, make him experience Mar-a-Lago, you know, someplace else, and there's there's never any pushback. Uh, it's, I don't even 
I don't even know if it's the good experience. I think it's the praise. Like, mm-hmm. If you're an authoritarian yeah. and you don't have to answer to your people or whatever, you Trump can show up and you just, it, you know, Trump could walk into my office and if I just tell him he's fantastic the whole time he's here, he will leave and say wonderful things about me. Yeah. Right. If I if he walks in and I tell him I have an issue with your policies, then he he lashes out. Right. It's yeah. purely it it is like classic narcissism. And and so he was today, he was talking about how successful this Asia trip was. As I step back, there was nothing of consequence that came of that trip. There were were apparently some, quote, business deals taking place. Right. But most of those are worked on in advance. (laughs) Right. And and so they're they're largely symbolic. You're signing. And most of them are just pledges. But there was no real, no change in North Korea. So Trump suggests that China is going to put more pressure on them. But the reality is they're not. They're going to continue to do the same thing. There was no, there were no major trade deals. I mean, the one reality that came forward from this trip is that the United States' decision to not be a part of the Trans-Pacific Partnership is is going to cost them severely. And and both Clinton and Trump were in that position. But there's, you can't work out bilateral trade deals. What what those countries want is a multilateral deal. So I look at this and say this was window dressing, mm-hmm. and nothing of consequence is coming from it. it, it it's it's. It's not a disaster in the sense that there wasn't a total catastrophe, but there's nothing meaningful that comes from it. Right. He took a he took a long vacation. Twelve days. He took a twelve yeah. day vacation. Yeah. Most people, you did. A lot of people think it's physically impossible to do that <laughs> for twelve. Right. Well, days, you Nick. only have so much energy in one day, so he clearly <laughs> had to store that up in his energy bank. Well, and one of the things that got a little bit of attention is when he was having this meeting with uh, President President Xi of China. And they were at this this dinner where they were looking at each other, and he said that he doesn't blame China for the trade imbalance. Can you imagine another president going to a foreign country and saying, "I don't blame you"? You know, it's it's actually our corrupt politicians who've caused this. I mean, that that should have been a scandal, but there were so many other things that we're talking about. And beyond that, beyond the it should have been a scandal for any president, it totally goes against everything he campaigned on, yes. which was that he was going to label China a currency manipulator. That they, you know, China is the bad; they're the bad guys. Um, and yeah, as soon as he's elected and goes over, and they're nice to him, all all of that goes away. And he was, you know, this, you're exactly right. He, he was going to get tough and that Obama was weak. And then it doesn't matter whether he's dealing with Putin or China or Duterte. He caves as soon as somebody is nice to him. And the only reason he pushes back is if somebody isn't nice to him uh, or as a woman, right? I think there's there's a couple of things that can play out there. But no, it was, uh, this is, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> He he did save those uh, three UCLA knuckleheads or whatever he said. That's right. Yeah. So tell tell the listeners that story. So apparently, I um, from I haven't read all that much about it, but uh, UCLA is playing a basketball game in China or was this last week? And three freshmen on the team shoplifted from uh, Louis Vuitton or something like that. There was a store next to their hotel, and they were they shoplifted, which turns out. Um, you know, China's not necessarily <laughs> the most transparent or, you know, lenient legal system. So they were uh, facing serious charges, possibly years in prison for this because of the value of the things they stole. Um, and I, I hadn't heard much about this, but I guess they were essentially on house arrest in their hotel. Uh, and Trump talked to the Chinese president and tried to get the basically get it all sorted out, let um, get the charges dropped or, or lessened. 
Um, and they did. It sounds like it was actually a fairly successful thing. The State yeah. Department was involved. They dropped the charges to misdemeanors, and these three guys were let go. And Trump, and actually, a, a remarkable show of restraint, didn't say anything about it for several days until <laughs> today. That's the key point. Yes. Until today. I mean, and what was the tweet? Basically, I get. I bet they'll never thank me for saving those. Do you have the trial? I the do tweet? have it. Uh, it is. Uh, here it is. Uh, do you think the three UCLA basketball players will say thank you, President Trump? They were headed for ten years in jail. I mean, it's just. I mean, all it would take is a thank you, like, right? And apparently you. today they did. They did apologize and say that you know we're sorry. <laughs> you know, thank you for Mr. Trump. But again, there's there's a racial dynamic. So you have three African American basketball players, and you have Trump tweeting out, "Make sure you say thank you to me." It's just. It's 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 really really. Bizarre. I feel like he would have done that regardless of. No, who was that's there, true. Though. You're right. He would have. Yeah, he couldn't. He can only control himself for so long. I guess after traveling for 12 days, you can't you can't expect much. No. Some people thought it was physically impossible, Bill. Right. <laughs> what do I? I also like the fact that Phil, how you said this was relatively successful, and the State Department got involved. This isn't getting the friggin' Iranian hostages right, out or anything. Right, right. Three idiots decided right. to shoplift something, and he said, eh, maybe don't do that. Right, and yeah. Like, I'm here, you know, they can ride back with us, you know. Yeah, well, yeah, that's right. We can get an Air Force One and go. <laughs> well, should we talk some beers? I suppose. All right, Phil, you, uh, what are you drinking over there? Uh, so I've just had one so far tonight. Um, it's a, a Long Trail Brewing Company, which is out of Vermont. They're Green Blaze IPA, which it says um, that it's, it's supposed to have hints of like pine, resin, and like the hops are supposed to remind you of a hike. And I, having read that, I kind of taste it. There's like a little bit of like a Christmas tree flavor to it. It tastes like bug spray. <laughs> is that a which good is thing? Which is not, it doesn't sound good, but it, I actually really liked it. I taste, it tasted, uh, it tasted good. I don't necessarily think, oh, I'll drink this on the trail but I, I do like the i liked the flavor of it it was good <laughs> for the record phil you oftentimes text me from your hikes talking about what am i doing this is a mistake why am i That's hiking true. so far <laughs> <laughs> i think the last time that happened i had just seen a snake and i was very afraid <laughs> and i thought i'll text bill he'll solve this <laughs> yes. for me she's like i know so much about snakes <laughs> just buy that beer and stand on the treadmill for a while and it'll be right. exactly yeah. the same Nick, what do you think about our old style? It's very old, old style-y. Actually, no, it's their Oktoberfest, which is not bad. I, I think it's pretty tasty. And actually, what I'm finding out now, the warmer it is, the sweeter it gets. It does get sweeter, <laughs> yes. So we, yeah, I don't know, is this, does old style always have, this? is this just like Oktoberfest season that this comes out? Or? I think so. I've never had anything other than standard shitty old style yeah. and that's normally pretty, only at baseball games it's pretty like dark and amber looking yeah i'm very much enjoying it i will say the only reason i bought it because when i was up in wisconsin and i saw the the cans i thought i have to get this for us so <laughs> but it, it's very malty mm-hmm. uh not not red malty but still i don't know i'm it's I'm, borderline yeah yeah I'm, I'm enjoying this this is yeah. way better than your normal old style well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, you don't need that fancy shit. Just get right. some old style. Yeah, this Nick, this was pretty cheap. <laughs> My family That's would be That's a pretty proud. low bar. Way better than regular old yes. style. Mm-hmm. I know old style would not be listening this far into the podcast, so I think we're all right. <laughs> so. um, uh, speed round time. Yay. All right. All right so uh, while Nick gets the timer up, Phil, do you want to introduce topic number one? Uh, sure. So... Um, this kind of ties into the the last topic and that we were talking about Russia and, you know, Trump's belief that uh, Putin, you know, didn't do it. 
Uh, but the, one of the big stories that came out this week was that uh, apparently Don Jr., um, during the campaign, was in contact with WikiLeaks and was exchanging information uh, about the, the It the was leaks. like three times. <laughs> Fair enough. They only colluded a few times. So... <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, I guess it began, I, I'm trying to remember, I, I don't have in front of me the, the actual messages, but these were these were Twitter direct messages, I guess. But uh, Julian Assange or WikiLeaks or whatever reached out to Don Jr. and said, they, I guess one of the things was like a hacked uh, web page that they had a, a password to that they sent. Yes. But also information Don Jr. was, you know, asking them about the supposed uh, Hillary leaks that were, or the, the email leaks that were about to come out. Um. I, I, maybe it's something maybe it tells you about where we are and how far we've come that it, it doesn't seem like on the surface they're not there wasn't anything particularly juicy in the in these messages uh, but it's pretty significant that Don Trump jr. is communicating with WikiLeaks who's pretty clearly affiliated with the Russian government at this point and and these some of these leaks that are coming out and then of course the other part of this is that the part that I think is is particularly interesting is that after these communications happened Don jr. emailed all of the top officials in the Trump campaign um, Bannon I think Manafort at that time uh, I don't remember if it was Kellyanne Conway all of essentially all of the I don't think Don Trump Donald Trump was on it but everyone at the next level down was included, in which he said, I have this communication. Don't tell dad. So this, right. This, right. <laughs> so it, it essentially reduces the sort of degrees of separation from Donald Trump. So all of this talk about whether this can be traced back to Donald Trump, um, it, it's getting harder and harder to have any belief that he didn't know what was going on. Well, yeah, go ahead. Well, even though you, know, you were talking about that there were only three messages, WikiLeaks sent many more messages and one of which, even though Donald Trump Jr. didn't respond, they said, here, you know, we need, you should have your your followers look further into this website. Here's this website. Share this. And, like, I don't know if it was, it was like an hour or so later, Donald, did. Donald Trump tweets out saying, hey, let's dive into this. So, which yep. I think further reinforces the idea that there, there was some conversation uh, between Donald Trump Jr. and Donald Trump to say, I'm, I'm talking to WikiLeaks. And Donald Trump, the president, talked about WikiLeaks all the time. Right. He loved right. WikiLeaks. That's all he well, and, and, <laughs> and other, I mean, the other aspect of this is that this, the, as this evidence comes out, um, it reveals the extent to which so many of these people have perjured themselves. Like, yes. So Jeff Sessions was asked specifically about ties between WikiLeaks and the campaign. Jeff Sessions was in on this email that Donald Trump Jr. sent out. So when Jeff Sessions says that he doesn't know of any ties between WikiLeaks or any connections, it's Jeff Sessions has the most extensive sense of convenient amnesia of anyone <laughs> who has come along in a long time. I loved his testimony yesterday because he is so indignant. He is, you know, he says, I did not perjure myself. You know, I do not recall any of this, but I certainly did not let anybody collude. I, I do remember those details. And the veracity, about these things that I have no idea what you're right, talking about. Yes, yeah. he and it's, it's when you see him, you're like, he must be telling the truth, you know. Yeah. Mike Pence. Mike Pence was asked during the campaign. I don't think under oath, but was asked uh, about ties between the campaign and and WikiLeaks. And he, you know, again, adamantly, there's no, you know, not there are no connections. Interestingly, there, he came out. Was it a couple days ago? And he quickly, maybe more before anybody else in the administration responded, and he said, "I had no knowledge 
of Donald Trump Jr.'s connection with WikiLeaks. So he is, I think he's worried about what's going on there. He wants to make sure he can be president when, <laughs> when Donald Trump gets ousted. Yeah, I mean, I think the other part is that this is all obviously being looked into by Mueller. Um, I mean, I, apparently this the, this came out because of a leak from a congressional investigation of some sort, which is problematic in its own ways. But um, you know that Mueller's looking into this. It's just more kind of evidence to throw in this pile. That what, What's interesting is that this makes me more likely to believe, again, that things are going to get really bad on the Mueller front. The other part that I, I wonder about is this slow trickle of stuff. Again, what came out is that Don, Donald Trump Jr. was talking to WikiLeaks about stolen documents that, that WikiLeaks or Russia or someone hacked into the DNC. Like, this should be, just this story should be one of the biggest political scandals in decades. And it's just sort of like, eh. Because yeah. I think we've gotten like uh, we've gotten so used to this that I don't, I don't know. I kind of wonder if I, I think the Mueller stuff's going to go big. But I sort of wonder if this slow leak has like altered our perceptions enough that even if strong evidence of collusion comes out, people will be just it won't seem like that big of a deal because well, we've been thinking about it and talking about it for so long. Kim Jong Un is mean and fat, so <laughs> <laughs> there. Well, especially when you when you realize that. The United States, at least Russia, was trying to connect with the United States about these emails that they'd hacked. And then when that didn't fully develop, then they reach out to WikiLeaks to do it. And then WikiLeaks is connecting with the administration. And even if it is only Russia trying to collude with the United States, and even if it is only WikiLeaks trying to collude with the United States, or I'm sorry, with the Trump administration, there was a willingness to at least have those conversations. Now, mm-hmm. I, yep. I agree with you, Phil. This is this should have been a bigger story. Yeah. Mueller has gone quiet, too, for the past week or so, which means something bad's probably coming. <laughs> That's right. That's bad news. That's real bad news. <laughs> oh. All right. Topic number two. We are going to look out. So on Monday, the Justice Department said it was looking into the possibility of creating a second special counsel. So we already have one. Maybe we need two. So look into the crimes relating to Hillary Clinton and the Democrats, Uranium One, emails, all the other stuff. Finally. Yes. Now, this appears to be in direct response to President Trump's uh, repeated public calls to do so. Now, in testimony before Congress Tuesday, Jeff Sessions, again, vehemently rejected the assertion that he was improperly influenced. No, Nicholas. Uh, Now, this would violate a longstanding practice of presidents involving themselves in DOJ investigations. Some have suggested that if this indeed does happen, if there is a second special counsel, we'd become a banana republic. This is a massive story. Now, who knows whether this happens, but if a special counsel is appointed, this seems to me the democracy is collapsing. Phil, are you as troubled by this as I am? Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, so from a, to take a softer approach to it, this is why it's important for Donald Trump not to say stuff, right? Because if you think that Hillary Clinton actually did something improper, um, if she did do something improper with either emails or the uranium stuff, I, I, you know, I'm that's not what I personally believe. But if that if that actually occurred. It's important for the Justice Department to be able to do this sort of investigation um, with, and without this sort of shroud of it, this is a political, politically motivated, you know, hack job or whatever. So when Trump comes out and says the, the Department of Justice should look into this, that's where you've already undermined the ability of the Department of Justice to run any sort of um, independent 
you know, yeah. investigation. Um, the special counsel stuff is stupid, too, because the, the Department of Justice and law enforcement can and should look into this. And it doesn't require a special counsel. Right. That's just called police work. Right. That's just what the FBI does. But, yeah, I mean, if they actually appoint a special counsel in response to pressure from the Trump administration and Republicans, basically to offset the Mueller, it, it is it, it's really. Uh, yeah, it's frightening. Yeah. And to Jeff Sessions credit in his testimony, he did say that we only do this if there's evidence. We're not just going to jump back and forth. And I think he defended the integrity of the Department of Justice to say that we're not going to be a political tool. Now, I'm sure Trump will continue <laughs> to pressure him and he may he may forget that that's part of the DOJ. But this was, you know, good for Jeff Sessions, at least to stand up to that pressure yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, but I mean, he also he also said that he's continuing that he's considering it though as right. well. No, so that's that's fair. Don't give him too much credit. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, Nick. Sorry. Well, I, no, I I mean I I don't necessarily disagree with with your sentiments. Uh, I think that there are plenty of people in the country that think that the um, special counsel that was appointed for the Russia and Trump invest, uh, investigation, uh, a lot of people think that they were. Obama or Clinton appointees, or they were puppets of the Democratic Party. So I, I, I don't know. Like I, again, I ninety-five percent agree with what you're saying, but I, I know there's again a significant portion of the population that will think this is fair and just and should happen anyways, and should be on equal footing as the Trump-Russia sure. investigation. And in some ways, that's why it's so important to have an independent. Justice Department, where they can say, all right, there are going to be political motivations one way or the other, but you have to absolutely draw that line between politics and the law. And for me, what's most disturbing about all of this is we have to remember Trump is talking about jailing. This is is returning to lock her up. This is saying you lost an an election. You should – I'm going to prosecute – the loser, and, and uh, this is this is something that dictatorships do. This is something that autocracies Absolutely. do. It's it's, it's awful. It, it is mm-hmm. it's one of those lines that the United States should never never cross. And and previous administrations, even when their opponents have committed crimes, have been reluctant to pursue those crimes because of that perception. Oh. Is is there an argument to be? I've I've never thought of this. This just popped into my head right now, so it may be stupid. Um, <laughs> Is there an argument to be made that the the attorney general um, should be a position more like the FBI director or the chairman of the Fed or a Supreme Court judge, that it shouldn't be a political position? It should be a, you know, you you appoint someone to a 10-year term um, with bipartisan support, and they are totally insulated from the president. The president doesn't have the power to, you know, fire them. You know, you you could view it. Is, Is there an argument that that should be? Or do we want them more accountable to politicians or the I, American people? I, I personally think it's a good idea. Um, I don't, even if that's the the theory behind the position, I don't think you're going to find anybody left in the country who thinks that they are that impartial at this point, especially after the whole Comey fiasco. So, right. I, yeah, I, I again, I, I think it's, it's probably a good idea. Uh, public sentiment probably will not necessarily be as... Um, uh, positive as we would be towards it. You could think, I mean, the, the brilliance of the FBI appointment is that it's a decade. You've got 10 years. Right. No, I think it's a great idea. I think you should remove it so that it's going to be across administrations and and then that gives the Congress or the Senate more 
incentive to be thoughtful about all this. Now, I, I think it would be much better. It, and it hasn't... I don't think it's been as much of a problem as it is with Donald Trump. I mean, you can go back and think mm-hmm. about Bill Clinton or George W. Bush. There were allegations, but nothing like this where the president is openly calling for prosecution of, of his opponents. So I, I have I have a compromise. Yeah. So I say if they're willing to settle on impeaching him, uh, no Clinton can ever again run for office, and Bill and Hillary need to go live on, what's the island from Science of the Lambs? Plum Island? <laughs> and no one hears from them ever again. Or we can again. send them to one of the two islands they sent Napoleon. Either one of them. I'm on board. Send them to Elba? <laughs> yes, Elba or St. Helena. Either one. I, I think we could compromise on that. Yeah. <laughs> Just a thought. Yeah. Can I can I be exiled to Elba or St. Helena, <laughs> please? They're they're pretty nice, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. They're One like, of them's in the Mediterranean. At yeah, least. they're like Malta, but but better. Maybe I don't know. Mm-hmm. How dare you! <laughs> <laughs> All right. How much, Phil, what are we doing on time? How are we doing? We're good. We're, we good. Time? we're good. Yeah. You okay. Need, you need to tell us about Nazis in Poland. Ooh. Uh, uh, yeah. So um, <laughs> this, taping this in 1939. Right. <laughs> So uh, this weekend, um, in in commemoration of Poland's Independence Day, I guess since the early, you know, since the the, the nineteen since nineteen eighteen or whatever, there's this tradition of Poland celebrating Independence Day as all countries do. But I guess um, I wasn't all that aware of this. But I, I guess there has been over time the the there have been essentially far right groups that have seized on this parade, this day, this Polish Independence Day. Uh, to demonstrate. And so this week was uh, Polish Independence Day, and there was a march of 60,000 neo-Nazis. Um, and I mean, so I'm, I'll just read here. from In Poland this weekend, 60,000 neo-Nazis staged a march, uh, chanting refugees out um, and carrying banners calling for an Islamic Holocaust. The interior minister called the march a beautiful sight and pro-government TV news called it a great march of patriots. Um, there were chants about uh, white Europe, that Europe is for, you know, white people only. So, I mean, in some ways, we this is Charlottesville, but cranked up to 60,000 yeah, people. Yeah. And I guess those are Nazis. Yeah. 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 Started attracting people like far right groups from around Europe and around the world. Um yeah, I mean, what? <laughs> how how terrifying is this? Should we be scared of this? Is this free speech? What do you make of this? I don't. I, I mean, Europe is such a different animal when it comes to this stuff. <clears throat> and realistically, we've seen um, very similar types of circumstances in Greece and uh, Ger- yeah, somewhat Germany, I think, France to some extent. Um, I, I don't know. Like they're they're just out of their fucking minds at this point. I, I don't I, like I I as much as I think that it's it's a really really serious thing. I, like I don't know what the tipping point is for them at this point. It's it's so it's just it, it, everything is out of left field. Like it, like these gr- groups are are so large and they have such influence. But with the history of everything, you don't know what is actually going to play out and when that tipping point actually gets achieved it's scary I, I don't know yeah the visuals of this like the pictures they all ran around with these red flares and yeah. i find red flares terrifying it's just you know it's awful so 
<laughs> so you have these large groups, and the so Poland has this Law and Justice Party, which is uh, would you, Phil, would you call it? It's far right. Where how would you label yeah. that that Polish government right now? It's uh, I mean, it's following the path of of other some other places in Europe, like Turkey, and and so they've they've been I I would say methodically dismantling the the sort of democratic structure of of Poland. They've been taking Poland in a frightening authoritarian direction. Yeah, and, um, and the parallels to the United States, where you you know we've talked a lot about this, what's happened in the United States, is that Donald Trump enables certain groups to say things that they previously mm-hmm. previously couldn't say. And when you have a march like this where 60,000 people come together and are allowed to openly express these views, it's, it is disturbing. And now, could this happen in, in Germany or France? Probably not, right? I mean, that's, that's a different dynamic. There's, there's something unique going on in Poland. But I, I think this is, this is troubling. Yeah, I mean, I, so it, the thing I've thought a lot about today is, you know, after Charlottesville and in and, and other instances, we've talked about the importance of freedom of speech, right? And that even though we think that the ideas or the people who are throwing these ideas are sort of deplorable, that they have a right to say these things or to think these things, right? But but part of the question is, how far does that right go? Mm-hmm. Um, and and this is like you were saying, Nick, right? When you get to 60,000 people marching, um, you know, at, at what point do you cross over into being this is, you know, so at some point you, you've got Charlottesville, you've got 60,000 people in Poland, you've got, you know, 1930s Germany, right? right. And so where on the spectrum do you say... Uh, at some point, your freedom of speech is not, you know, if you're going to march calling in this case for an Islamic genocide or an Islamic Holocaust, right, that that's that's not protected. That's not, you know, that is not free speech. That's, uh, you know, incitement, all these other things that, right. that, that we are we've crossed the line into the sort of early stages of, you know, Nazi Germany at that point. Well, I think that's that's a great point, because it's in the United States, the ACLU is, is having this conversation internally about whether you protect Nazis right to say these things because of that exact reason. There's this conversation. Well, speech is speech. And the traditional argument is you let all speech play out. But there are some within the ACLU now saying that that speech is also linked with power. And there are certain groups who are privileged and have that ability to express messages that can then disenfranchise other voices. And and while I'm incredibly reluctant to regulate any kind of speech, it is concerning. 60,000, this was one of the largest they've had. Each year it's getting yeah. bigger, and right. this is dramatically bigger. So this populist wave is transitioning into something that's that's distinct from what we've seen in terms of this extremism on the fringes. This is, I wouldn't say mainstream, but certainly moving in that direction. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I, <clears throat> I, they're not as... Um... As as nuanced as as our as our right. Nazis are here, I, I feel. I, you think our Nazis are nuanced? They're very nuanced. They're very complicated. I think they're people. knuckleheads. They are knuckleheads. <laughs> they're 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 fucking idiots. Um, no, I I I think that like you said, Phil, when they're talking about and have government support for uh, sanctioning an Islamic genocide, uh, I, like that's. That's that seems very cut and dry, and that's that is the limit of your right to free speech. Whereas when you're here, at least from my experience in in watching these videos and 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 looking at uh, at reports and whatnot, the groups that uh, protest or, or march here, 
it's it's always about blaming someone and not necessarily inciting specific acts. It's you know again the the Muslims or the Jews or the blacks or someone is to, is responsible for the situation that you're in, and you know things need to change and you know it's you know white superiority and all that stuff. But it you don't at least again from my experience I haven't heard a lot of specific threats uh, against those groups and you can counter me on that if you want because I know I don't, don't I'm not know. necessarily I don't I don't know I, I but to me that line is incredibly fine right yes. like to, to be able yeah. to say I do you have to actually say go get them when you basically say that person is to blame for everything wrong in your life? Mm-hmm. I, like the, I don't know that there's much of a difference between saying that person that person's responsible for everything wrong in your life and that person's wrong for everything in your life. Now do something about it. Like whether the do something about it is spoken or not seems almost inconsequential. Um, mm-hmm. um, I, it's there is a difference, but it seems really tiny. Yeah. It's all just bad. Yeah, no, that's right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Nazis bad. Freaking Nazis. It just won't go away. <laughs> that's right. All right, our next topic. It is So yesterday, uh, Bob Corker in Congress held a hearing on the question of the what the president's authority to launch nuclear weapons would be. And this is for me, this is a really fascinating question because the question is, are there constraints on whether the president can launch? And if so, what are, the, what are those constraints? And so... Mm-hmm. The conventional thinking is that if another country were to launch a nuclear weapon at the United States, there are basically absolutely zero constraints. It drops to the president of the United States to decide whether he wants to respond. He would have a mere few minutes to make this decision, and those around him could advise him. But basically, it's up to the president, and there's nobody else. If the president says, we respond, there will be a response. Now, the second question, the more interesting one, is... What about those cases where it's not an imminent attack? So let's say that uh, Donald Trump decides that I want to launch a nuclear weapon at North Korea. They haven't launched it at us, but we're going to respond. Are there constraints there? And the thinking is that the U.S. Strategic Command uh, has the ability to ignore an illegal order. But short of that, there are no constraints. And so then the question is, what is an illegal order? Well, if it would be disproportional, so proportionality matters. So if he were to say, well, uh, Kim Jong-un called me old again, I'm going to launch a nuclear weapon, they could say that's a a disproportionate attack, we're not going to respond. But it would take a collective response from the entire U.S. Strategic Command to say no, because on the spot, the president can fire anybody who would deny him. Mm -hmm. And he could bring the Secretary of Defense in to also support that decision. So he could basically go through officials and say, Fire. And if the guy said no, fire, 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 or, you know, fight, you're fired unless you fire. And so Bob Corker's question is, should Congress have a role in constraining this behavior? I'm sorry, this this decision. And I think it's a really, really important question. My inclination is, yes, absolutely. There should be some additional constraint that is not there right now. Thoughts? It's it's an interesting question. Yeah. Uh, like I, I can definitely see both sides. From a strategic standpoint, you want to be able to respond as quickly as is humanly possible. And having one person have that authority is definitely useful in doing that. If it's a preemptive strike, um, I, I mean, it's difficult to see a, a benefit to having a collective of party officials also try and make those decisions who... 
I would assume some of those officials are going to be aligned with the president who is in power. Right. That's why Congress or somebody else, like another branch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I mean, I'm saying Congress in general. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. I, I like I don't know. I don't know how you would how you would get that element out of that decision making and more. I mean, it can't be a strategic decision at that point. They're going to debate that endlessly. So I, I don't know if you have to create a completely separate collective of people that's responsible for that decision, but then you're in the same situation that you're in right now. Sure. Yeah. There's interesting so. separation of powers questions yeah. because yeah. the president is commander in chief, but Congress has the right to declare war. And yeah. So I, this, but what this makes me think of is there, I don't know if you've ever heard this bill, but there was a, a I, I want to say it was an ethicist. It's back, you know, when there were initial discussions about the use of nuclear weapons, um, who argued that the codes, the, the the launch codes, should be basically embedded in a human being? That they're like you have the person who what? instead of carry, yes. So it, here's the logic of it, right? So the the launch codes are you know embedded in your chest, and so if Donald Trump wants to launch a nuclear weapon, he has to essentially kill. He doesn't essentially. He has to kill you and hack the codes out of your chest oh to get my God. him what? physically, or can he get somebody else to do it to me? Uh, I, that I don't, I don't know if someone else can do it. Yeah. The idea is that he has to do it because the argument is he's about to push a button that will kill hundreds of thousands of people, right? If, if the, the idea is if, if we are about to be attacked or if the, the fate of the United States is so important that he's willing to kill hundreds of thousands of people, he should physically have to kill a human being (laughs) to get the codes. It's a, it's a, I like this. It is, but when you think about in terms of ethics, right? Part of the, the 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 fear of nuclear weapons is that they are so impersonal, right? You push a button, you launch a code, and somewhere halfway around the world, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people are killed, right? And it's totally abstract, it's cold. And the idea is that the the president or whoever is making this needs to be faced with the reality of they are taking human life, right? And if you are going to take the life of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, if it's really that important, then you should be willing to take the life with your own hands of another person in order to do it. I, I like, I, I, it's an absurd, you know, it's an absurd premise, but it's a, it's, it's, it's thought provoking, right? Oh, yeah. the, yeah. the sort of limits that should be in place, and yet nothing like that is in place. Well, I mean, I really fascinating. Yeah, no, it's definitely. It should be the chief of staff. So then the president <laughs> has to chase the chief of staff around like with some sort of hatchet. You can only do it with a meat cleaver. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, the only reason we're having this discussion is because we're all worried about his sanity and his temperament. Yes. This has never been... It's been a discussion, and it's been a philosophical, academic discussion for decades, but this is the only reason we're worried about it. Yes. So... I, I like I I don't know like why didn't you do this during any of the previous administrations because you didn't disconcertedly need to, because the previous presidents didn't call people losers but and we don't haters. know that they could have been fucking but, out of their minds we just didn't know yeah, they were but, just quiet about right. it right we should have started earlier anticipating Donald Trump but this happened so I think you have to and I think being terrified with the reality that Donald Trump could make this decision. Let's say there's a let's say he has a 14-day trip somewhere, right? I mean, they should just take oh, those God. codes away from him. So <laughs> drawing too much from that energy. Yeah. Thing. I think the United States should move in a direction where it it publicly acknowledges either through legislation or the presidency to say we will 
we will never use nuclear weapons first. This is this is a big debate within the international relations community, and, and the United States has been reluctant to do so, but I think we should make that pledge. I think other countries should make that pledge to say that we would respond and deterrence works, but that we would never be the first to launch. Should, uh, I totally agree we should yeah. pay lip service to that. <laughs> yeah. Would you, would you constitutionally change it so that the president does not have the power to, like, that essentially the only time the U.S. will launch nuclear weapons is in response? Yes. You I, basically yeah. take the president, that power away from yes. the president to make that decision. And I, and I think the, the reality is that nuclear weapons are so destructive at such a different level that, yes, I, I think that is something you have to remove from the ability of, of an infallible, or I'm sorry, a, fall, a human being who can make a mistake, you have to remove that. Human fallibility and nuclear weapons will ultimately lead to the destruction of, of the planet. Here's solution. Give it to the Pope. There you go. Infallible. But it, there you go. Done. <laughs> Problem solved. This, is, this has been very productive, Nick. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> All right. Our final topic. Uh, oh, this I love our final topics. They're always fun. So we're going to talk about a uh, whether this is the worst federal judge nominee ever. So Donald Trump has nominated a 36-year-old lawyer who has never tried a case and who was unanimously deemed not qualified by the American Bar Association. And he has been approved for a lifetime federal district, district, judge, uh, district judgeship by the Senate Judiciary Committee. So he still has to come to a whole uh, entire Senate vote. The lawyer, Brett Talley is the fourth judicial nominee under President Trump to receive a not-qualified rating from the Bar Association uh, and the second to receive a rating of unanimous since 1989. <laughs> so, and I think uh, there's an additional thing to this guy is also... There's multiple, yeah, there's several additional yeah, things. Yeah, I'm trying to, to remember, wasn't he... What was... He's a ghost hunter too, right? <laughs> he was, yeah, he oh, was I a paranormal investigator or something. What's that? Yeah. Yeah, he was like a paranormal investigator or something right. at one yes. point. Yes, I wrote that life. down somewhere and I forgot it. But yes. Oh, wait, no, he, uh, here it is. He is part of the, this. Is, this, is, this is great because it circles back to Alabama. He is part of the Tuscaloosa Paranormal Research Group from 2009 to 2010, which searches for the truth of paranormal existence. He's just looking for the truth, man. Don't calm <laughs> he, down. And they, it was something, there was something reported that he, they said, well, we go into houses. We basically hang out all night. And 85 to 90 percent of the time, we don't find anything. I mean, ghosts aren't everywhere. Give the guy a yes. break. So, wait, fifteen percent of the time they find something? They find ghosts. This seems like a question that should come up in the Senate hearing. So, how many he, ghosts did you so find? He's also he's is this the guy who's married to yes. a, the uh, the like the supervisor like his like his wife is in charge of the appointment like essentially the nomination process in, in the White House, right? Yes, uh, it is. It's it's terrible. He's totally unqualified. Why are you guys surprised by this? Like, I don't care if I'm even interrupting at this point. Why are you surprised? Because it's a matter of degrees, right? So all politicians appoint political officials. There's always some of this. But Trump doesn't care anymore. This guy has never, ever been involved in a case. And he's going to get a lifetime uh, appointment to judge. judge. Yes. Nick, this seems reasonable that you should say you have to have at least been involved in a court proceeding at some point well i mean you have the guy at the epa who is pretty much dismantling it brick by brick and all the rest of the cavalcade of shitheads that he's nominated it's just it's opposite world with all of this so like i i mean why are you surprised cavalcade of shitheads is my favorite new phrase can we can we, can we name the episode that yeah the i'll, I'll that, try it. I'll, I'll work the, it out yeah 
So his the fact that Trump is nominating someone like this is is appalling and, and embarrassing yeah. and, and it shouldn't happen. But the real scandal here is what the hell is the Senate Judiciary Committee right, yeah, doing exactly. approving him? Yes. That that is their job. Like Trump is allowed to make bad appointments. But their job is to sit and, and to I mean, they offer, you know, this is to advise and consent, right? They they have the ability to review these appointments and say no. Yeah. So what I mean, why the hell are they not doing that? That's that's the scandal. That's the terrifying thing to me. That's back to this the the party politics right. above all else. And the vote was along party lines. And again, you, you say to Republicans, you have to push back on this. <clears throat> Somebody who has never tried a case is going to be deciding cases for the rest of their lives. And it's not like he's an 80-year-old. He's 36. This And is it's a, not like... Yeah. He's not sitting in, like, you know, the downtown Keene courthouse. He's sitting in a federal judgeship, right? Mm-hmm. This is not... I mean, these are yeah. important... Not that the Keene courthouse no, is important. matters too, Phil. It matters. <laughs> really important <laughs> positions. Good save. Well, and the reason... I think the, the broader point here is that Trump is appointing these individuals because of their conservative ideology. Right. This is opposition politics. No. That's all we have left. He's, appoint- <laughs> he's appointing this person because... The his wife is choosing who gets appointed. He's not appointing him because he's conservative. You th- okay? Again, two things can be true. He is both. He's super conservative and he has a connection to the White House. So all the more reason for the Senate to have some integrity. I mean, if the Senate is going to be like this, then bring Roy Moore in because you have no integrity. Exactly. <laughs> no, it is. It's absurd, and and he is one example. But Trump has been very very effective given congressional compliance with this of getting a whole host of judges approved way i mean many who are waiting you know obama got very basically very few through uh this might be the legacy of trump that he is able to change the judiciary in a a fundamentally different direction Mm -hmm. no is that it (laughs) (laughs) phil you look depressed i am i'm it's as much, I have no doubt that his wife being a part of this process is a major, major issue. But I think it's it's the larger issue of of which team is going to win and and which one that you are aligned with. Yeah. I, I, it's it's a scary thing to think that that's where we are. That no matter what level of government uh, governance that you're talking about. It doesn't matter about your qualifications or how old you are or what you've done previously. As long as we're aligned with the thought process of the people that you are supposed to be supporting, you you can do whatever you want. Just I should do something. I've done the nothing. Part, the part that's weird, though, is that I, I, if that's the case, if you're a Republican and you just so it's just about which team you're on. Mm-hmm. If you're a Republican, you should want a smart as hell conservative lawyer you know somebody in this position you want someone who you want your team to win this Mm -hmm. but you also want you know it's like if you're drafting it's not just that you're cheering for you know whoever your team is you want your team to have the best players as well because that's how you win these battles in the long run Mm -hmm. not just by getting some doofus on the seat right now who doesn't know how (laughs) law works like that backfires and that's what's weird to me about it well and i think he is a doofus but he once referred to hillary clinton as hillary rotten clinton on his public twitter account which he's now made private who hasn't (laughs) and in 2003 he wrote in his blog are we surprised he has a blog uh, that armed revolution was an important defense against tyrannical government. There you go. Yeah, America, America. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's yeah, it's it's 
to your deeper point, Phil, that we have lost the ability to see objective reality and it is all partisanship all the way down. Nick, it's turtles all the way down. Turtles? <laughs> turtles all the way down. Oh, turtles all the way down. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's a gonna... saying. Nick. I didn't know I that know was what a it means, thing. but it's a saying. If no. listeners want to buy me a t-shirt, you should buy me a t-shirt that's t-shirt that says turtles all the way down. <laughs> I got to look for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, this was a rough one. I'm not going to lie. We were all over the place. That was we fun. Were. We were domestic. We were international. <clears throat> we we hit all of it today. Yeah, it was pretty good. Next, yeah. Next week we're just going to spend an hour and a half talking about what we're thankful for, right? I think so. Yeah. Yes. It's going to be a very positive, special episode. Comfortable shoes. <laughs> um, <clears throat> final thoughts on any of this? No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, uh, if you like what you've listened to, um, follow us on Facebook at Barstool Politics, Twitter at Barstool Paul. Uh, send us comments or suggestions or questions on um, uh, our email address, um, barstoolpolitics at yahoo.com. Uh, like us, uh, uh, review us and like us on, uh, on iTunes. Uh, that's how we continue to make this stuff grow. Uh, if you want to know what beers we've tried on the podcast, download the Untapped app. You can find it on iOS and Android. Uh, we have all of them on there, and um, you can follow us and send us beer suggestions too, I think. And um, yeah, let's Great. let's hope next week is slightly more calm. Although I'm not very convinced of that. But it was, this was fun, though. It was fun. It was good. It was yeah. fun. It was super fun. Anything else, guys? Cheers. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers. cheers. See you next week, guys.